Hey, what's up, you sexy bitches, and welcome back to this week's Weekly D. Today, I have the amazingly talented Jacob Colossa on with me, and we talk about everything from dating life to business ownership life. So, without further ado, this is the Weekly D. Because, honey, if you ain't getting your D on the daily, you better at least be getting it once on the weekly. If you're not getting any and you want some tea, then come and join Dan up on the Weekly D. It's the Weekly D. Jacob, welcome to my podcast. It's so nice to have um, a boy on to talk to. I love talking <laughs> to other pole boys. Um, how are you? How have you been doing? All good, really. Uh, Keeping old. busy? Nothing. Yeah, I mean, summer, I've had a more relaxed summer, uh, but September is around the corner and we all know that everything's about to get crazy again. So uh-huh. enjoying this, the maybe two weeks of slower pace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you, I, I find like the busiest months for me generally, especially as a studio owner, is like the January, February, March. Is that not? So what's the busiest month for you? The same sort of thing? I'd say... Throughout the year, we would be pretty busy all the time, apart from obviously summer holidays, people are away, people spend money on holidays, all of that stuff. And the dreaded December, absolutely hate December because oh. we do close for like a week, a week and a half. It depends where Christmas lands, you know, but people spend, people like to spend on Christmas gifts and stuff like that. So I completely understand that the funds and the time's not always there because you got your Christmas parties, all of that. So December and summer months are the months I dread. But besides that, the rest of the year is pretty good. But yeah, January, I think, is is the biggest pickup usually. And you, you shut the studio in December. So we do the same. We tend to shut it for like a week, maybe two weeks, depending on where it lands in, in the sort mm-hmm. of like the month. But yeah, we just shut because what's the point? We used to run oh, classes, no. but people just don't turn up. <laughs> I no, think they have intentions too. You don't want to like, sh- like just be showing up for like one or two people. And it's like, it's good to give people like... A break it's like stop thinking about it it's your one and a half week to two weeks of just focusing on yourself your family your friends whatever uh, type of holiday you spend and I think it's I think most people now close during the Christmas period I think yeah I think a lot of people do I think uh, like you said it's nice just to give people that like couple weeks break do you know what's so funny as I was actually talking to um you know Pulp Fiction Teresa Yes, yes, yes. Um, so I was chatting to Teresa and she was saying in Spain they actually close in these months because it's so hot there that mm-hmm. they just don't, they don't have the studios open because it's too hot. And I For said, the whole like, month? Like for the whole, I think it's for a month or it's like, it's for quite a long time. Right? It's like basically for the summer holidays. And um, yeah, like so people like leave the country, they'll go away or whatever. And I was like, wow. I was like, okay, I didn't realise that was even a thing. But mm. it's so funny because in the UK, I just couldn't, we couldn't afford, like, to, do you know what I mean? Like, we couldn't afford to close for a month. Like, if we close for a month, like, how are we going to pay the rent that month? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Sorry, we've totally gone off on a little bit of a tangent studio tour there. And actually, I do want to talk to you about, about the studio and, um, you know, what it's like running a studio. But the first thing that I really wanted to get into talking to you about was um, your career as a male pole dancer, because there aren't lots of us. Um, so before we do that, and I've totally done this wrong way around because we've got talking already, but tell us a little bit about yourself. Let people know who are listening to this, just in case for some unknown reason they're a crazy person, they don't know who you are. Just let them know who you are, what you do, you know, a little bit about yourself. 
So my name's Jacob. Um, on social media, you'll find me now as the Pole Wizard <laughs> for the past couple of months. Um, so a little bit about me. I live in Leeds, north of England, in case people aren't from the UK, don't know where Leeds is. Uh, I have a studio here that I co-own with one of my best friends, Caroline. And I also have an online platform, much like Dan. Uh, we also we both teach online as well. And I specialize in heels. So for the past couple of years, that's where all of my energy and my focus has mainly gone. Uh, before that, I was more of a barefoot pole dancer, uh, more artsy and more into pole sports and things like that. Um, I do have a dance background before I started doing pole. So I did uh, ballroom dancing competitively for seven years. And during those seven years, I also kind of dabbled in different dance styles, like contemporary and, you know, some new style and some voguing and some whacking, but it's just kind of like dipping into different things and dabbling in different things. And it was kind of like, um, what's that saying? where you're the jack of all trades but yeah right 100 percent. yeah i get what you mean so i like i felt confident in all of the styles but i wasn't like really good at any of them if that makes sense um and then uh i quit dancing uh for about six months just because uh i was by that point supporting myself financially without uh, any aid from anybody else and if anybody's done ballroom dancing it's like the golf of sports it's so expensive the outfits are expensive really? you have to take pro oh my god yeah like have you seen the dresses the girls wear or yeah like the, how, the how much is a dress like out of interest oh th thousands. thousands thousands yes wow it's insane. So the outfits are insane. Obviously, you have to go to your group classes, you have to go to your camps, you have to if you want to be uh, achieving anything at a competitive level, you have to be taking multiple privates a week, which are not cheap. And if you're a uni student that just has a part time job as a waiter, you're not going to be able to pull that off. You know, so I just thought, okay, this is too much. It's draining my mental health and all of my energy. I can't carry on with this. Uh, and then, yeah, just saw a video online of Felix Kane at one point and thought, well, this is amazing and went to my first class as a joke. And here we are. So that's briefly on me, I guess. That's just crazy. And so your flexibility, does that come from the ballroom dancing? Like, do you need flexibility for ballroom dancing? Uh, not, I mean, if you need a certain level of flexibility, I guess, to do, um, your extensions, your isolations and all of that for that to look fluid and good. So obviously flexibility is always going to help you with that. Even if in pole, you don't, you don't have to have the aim to be a contortionist to train spinal flexibility to maybe do nicer body weights and nicer pulls, right. you know, mm -hmm. all of that pays into something, but uh, not really. It's, it's uh, men don't have to usually do all of the crazy flexibility things when it comes to ballroom. If you are flexible, you can choreo it that way, but it's not, typical it's very much like if you're a very flexible male dancer in that world it's like wow that's very impressive okay um, but yeah, it's not essential to being successful no. okay whereas no, for the women no, no. in that industry would you say the flexibility is quite essential for them it's definitely a very big bonus and the girls are definitely pushed more towards like focusing on that aspect of it um okay. And, but I don't think ballroom is what made me flexible. I've been pretty much 
like obsessed with flexibility since I was a child. So I would just, obviously I was a kid. I didn't know what I was doing. So you just kind of like try to do the splits and try to do this and try to do that. And I would do it every single day. I was absolutely obsessed with it. So by the time I started (laughs) doing like, like just a beginner's course in ballroom, I already had all of my splits. Uh, I didn't do any backbends till well into my 20s. This was when I was already doing pole. And I think you were a part of this craze as well. There was this period, uh, it must have been like 2014, 2015, where everybody just suddenly is like, I'm going to be a backbender. I'm going to try to do uh, rainbow. And I I just remember, well, this was before I even had an Instagram. So everything was still Facebook. Then I'm like, everyone's backbending like crazy. (laughs) It's just like a year or two of that. I was definitely one of the casualties of that. And you know what? And when I say casualties, I really was because my back was weakened by the fact that we didn't really use flexibility coaches. We just saw these tricks and was like oh cool i'm just gonna do some bridges and i'm just gonna i'm just gonna youtube how to do a fucking chest stand i honestly i was talking to steve about it It was so funny we literally (laughs) you know that like i'm trying to describe it so that people who aren't actually watching this one so i mean you know when you're like on your knees and we what do we call it in um exotic when we do like that roll forward and then we can turn it into a kip and stuff Oh, uh, some people call it trust fall. I trust call it fall, that's roll, it. Like that. So we used to trust fall in chest stands. I mean, oh my God, like how I didn't break my neck on some of these, I don't know. Like my chin is like compacted into the floor. It's not in a good extension at all. I look at some of the pictures because they sometimes come with my time hop. I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? And now my back, <laughs> my back could never, like just no way. My back is so damaged from all that. But with so much, people who are in the industry now and are joining now, they are so much luckier than what what I was because, you know, Mm. and anyone else really that was training flexibility back then because, you know, we didn't have the Athena Wolf, Opgo Walla, all of these people who are proper trainers because we didn't bother looking for them. We just saw these flexibility moves for cool, let's, yeah. let's freaking get on this. <laughs> I was I want a rainbow Marchenko, so I'm just going to, you know, do some crazy stuff that I see these people on Instagram doing. And um, yeah. I've definitely had got the injuries from that, for sure. I mean, yeah. what? how many years have you been pole dancing for now? How many years have you been doing in total? What year did you start? Uh, Can you remember? I would have taken my... It's going to be 10 years next month from my first lesson. Yeah. Nice. And when you, sorry, going back a little bit, because I just realized we haven't even mentioned it yet. Um, the ballroom dancing you did as a kid, right? So was that well, in... from the age of 14? Okay. So were you in Poland at the time? Yes. Yes. I moved right. here in 2015. And for anyone who's like, why do you not have a Polish accent? Can you give us a little background <laughs> on Because I remember having this conversation with you. And I was like, wait, you're, you're from Poland? Like, what? You don't have, why have you got an American accent? So can you let people know what the story is behind this? Um, well, uh, it's not a long one. I, uh, I was born in Poland, but then when I was one, my family moved to the States. So I lived in New Jersey for nine years. And then when, we were, when I was 10, uh, we moved back. And I was there for, what, 13 years? Uh, so I spent most of my life in Poland. And then I've been here for seven years now. And so it's kind of like 
it sounds American, but it sounds more Canadian because it's very soft. And then I have these twangs now because of being here for some time. So when, when I worked in retail briefly, like people would obviously ask me 27 times a day, like, where's that accent from? Because it's unusual to hear somebody like me around these parts in Yorkshire. <laughs> so um, I'd have to give the life story. And then when they were just saying, like, are you Irish? I'm like, sure, why not? Sure. Are you, let's, are you Canadian? You know what? 100%. Go, yeah. Let's just go with that. <laughs> and so what I want to understand is you're in Leeds, aren't you? What? Yes. Um, so you're living in Poland and you just think one day, do you know what? Leeds looks beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> that was shady. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what, why why Leeds? Like, surely, because only I only say that as well because you know I know Damien who lives in Manchester and he's from yeah. Poland. I know yeah. you know some people would maybe move to London. Manchester I can get because Manchester a lot of people know of, but most people in Poland probably have never even heard of Leeds. So what? True. How did yeah. how did Leeds happen? How did that happen? Um, this is this is uh, gonna basically show how randomized my life decisions are um so i i moved over with an ex-boyfriend it was actually his idea to like leave poland and move uh just because it's a very very conservative country and it's like i don't know if in my lifetime we'll see any improvement in gay rights or anything like that and i'm like i'm not living my life without being able to get married or anything like that so we were just like yeah we we want to change uh so so we moved now the reason we chose leeds is because a year prior to moving, so this would have been 2014, I did like a mini UK tour. So I taught in a couple of places. So I taught in Harrogate, I taught in uh, Manchester, I taught in Leicester, because obviously my best friend Warren lives in Leicester. And then I taught uh, near Bristol as well. So I made friends during that. And uh, Damien was one of the studios that hosted me in Manchester. And Carol I met Caroline in Harrogate because she was a teacher at the studio that was hosting me. So I kind of made all of these connections. And I made all of these friends. So then when we were trying to decide, oh, like, where are we supposed to move? I just kind of spoke to all of them. And they were like, well, Leeds is a big, like, uni city in the center of all of the places where you know people. We think you'd really like it. So I was like, okay. We're moving to Leeds. Never been to Leeds before. Never knew anything about it. I was just like, yeah, I guess we're moving to Leeds. So we found a place, moved, and I had—I did not know. I was unaware of how strong the Yorkshire accent was because, you know, people in Harrogate were like very well spoken and then the Manchester <laughs> accent is different and Leicester is completely different. So when I pulled up to that airport and I was asked, Ya Ratlov, I'm like, you fucking what? <laughs> what yeah. do you want from me? I had no idea. And not even kidding, for two to three weeks, I could not understand a word anybody was saying. Like oh, Warren no. had to translate English to English for me. I just wow. had no idea. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. Okay, so it was literally because in um so in poland you there's like no gay rights there at all right it's not but it's not illegal to be gay right no no it's not uh, it's not illegal or anything like that it's it's just uh you know uh, any votes on same-sex partnerships or same-sex marriage just always get kind of revoked denied pushed away um and it it got worse after i moved out so 
you maybe you would have heard of this there are anti-lgbt zones in poland so there are entire like cities or regions that can declare themselves an anti-lgbt zone which is basically kind of like what you have going on in russia that um they don't support the promotion of the existence of homosexuality or anything non-heteronormative and uh yeah so pretty much going downhill it's not getting better it's getting worse isn't isn't that so sad to think that there are places that are are still like that it's so so sad and how are your how are your family with it and stuff are they all oh absolutely fine absolutely that's amazing okay did they um did they miss you when you left like how long have you been here for now seven years uh yeah literally this month beginning of august seven years yeah. And do you go home very often to see them? I suppose probably not during COVID, but do you normally? Um, I see my brother the most out of anyone because he lives in Warsaw with his fiance. And whenever I go to teach camps or workshops or whatever, I usually fly to Warsaw and then make my way wherever I have to go from there. Uh, so I always stay with them. Um, so, But we're that kind of family where um, we love each other and all of that, but we don't stay in constant touch. So oh my god, I, I'm literally the same, but people can't grasp this concept, can they? Oh, I, I don't, I think the one and only time in the past decade I can remember calling my brother on the phone would be to discuss something like a family matter about something, something that was important. Right. But we, we don't text each other, we don't just call each other up like, what are you up to? We just don't do that. But that doesn't mean we don't love each other. It's just that when I come and visit him and we see each other, we always have a fantastic time. Yeah, and you know, and do you know do what as well, me, I, have, I have this theory that, you know, because especially in my family's lives, like not much really goes on in their lives. Do you know what I mean? Like they don't, they're not like crazy busy people like me. But, you know, um, I always think like, what do you talk about? Like you've just, you spoke on the phone to them yesterday and you're going to see them tomorrow. So now what are going to talk about tomorrow? And I don't get me yeah. wrong, like, so my husband is very close to his family. Um, mm-hmm. So Mitch will talk to his mum quite a lot and he'll, you know, speak to his family quite a lot. Um, and actually, I do really, really like it. But yeah, I, if, he'll be like, oh, when's the last time we spoke to your mum? I'll be like, um, it doesn't mean that I don't love her or that she doesn't love me. Yeah. We just, we just will call each other and we'll have a catch up every now and then. Um, yeah. But yeah, we just, we've never been really close like that. Do you know what I mean? But it's so yeah. weird, isn't it? But, and then people are like, oh, why are you not close to them? I'm like, well, I am close to them, but like we we just don't we're not in contact twenty four seven. Do you know what I mean? I just don't exactly. feel like we need to. We've got lives. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I've got a life to get on with. I haven't got time. I that had shit. to like. <laughs> I had to bring a healthy balance into it because my uh, my brother calls my mom a lot more often than I do, which is absolutely fine because you can have a different dynamic with each of your children. That's absolutely okay. We're different people, but um, my mother used to like want me to call her all the time and i told her the same argument as you just said i'm like mom you you know i'm very busy but also we spoke yesterday nothing's changed i have nothing new to tell you over (laughs) the period of 24 hours nothing has changed and um then she i mean this was something we had to uh, talk through but she would do that i don't know if your parents ever did this like guilt trip you it's like okay just don't call me then like oh you don't have time to call your mother i'm like no 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 we are not doing this <laughs> phones work both ways if you urgently need to speak to me you can call me and when yeah. i do call you i do not wish to be villainized <laughs> for not doing it when you want it to happen you know we need to find a healthy balance here but um we're good now we, we probably talk um 
once every like three, four weeks. I, oh, I guess. And then it's a yeah. lovely conversation because we have right. a lot to tell each other. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot has happened. See, I totally agree with you. I'm, I'm sure there'll be lots of people listening to this that speak to their mums every day or whatever. And I, and I think that's a great thing too. But Absolutely it just fine, isn't yeah. for me. <laughs> um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about when having you on this podcast was talking to you about your transition from being a trickster to um, a heels sort of... Um, pole dancer I don't know how, how am I going to word it you know when you're like how am I going to word this um, but yeah going from tricks to heels that transition for you happened over uh, a long period obviously because it would have been maybe what it took about a year or two years I think I noticed you start to go and you still do tricks it's worth saying I do still see you will post tricks they're normally in heels but um yeah. do you still train even though you are like you said you're known now for heels that is your thing yeah. Do you still train like tricks and combos? Like, even though you don't post not them as very much? frequently, not no. very frequently, but that's because I only have limited time when I can go to the studio to train. Because, amongst you know, uh, we pretty much have very similar situations here as an online platform, owning a studio, teaching workshops, teaching things on weekends, and then you got to plan all of your things. You got to choreo for these workshops, choreo for your like uh, group classes, teach all of your privates, do all of those things. And then when you look at your schedule, it's like, unless I decide to not have a day off ever, when exactly am I meant to do all of these things? So um, when I do train, it'll obviously be for the thing people book me for and for the thing people, you know, pay me to teach them. And that is predominantly heels. I do get sometimes booked for tricks workshops, but um, that doesn't happen very frequently. Um, and I do train a lot of tricks, but they're just very low based. They won't yeah. usually involve a climb or anything like that. Uh-huh. So whenever I meet up with people, like I recently had a pole jam with Sophie Duncan, or uh, I had one with Lizette, and I'm like, okay, I am not putting heels on during this session because I, I, that's all I do. I'm with people who are incredible up on the pole. I want you to get me to go up on that pole and try yeah. other things. So Being I haven't lost the others, ability. Yeah. I, can, I can still do these things. It's just when you've got a limited amount of time, you've got to prioritize what's important for you and your career, I guess. Well, I think it's worth saying, um, and this is a compliment, by the way, that, you know, you you were very, very good at tricks. It was, you weren't just a little bit okay at tricks. You know what I mean? You were at elite level um, with your tricks. You were doing some crazy shit. So what made you think, do you know what? I am really good at these tricks, but I want to transition anyway. What made you, was it because you just enjoyed it more? So you, you got more from it for, for yourself. What was it that made you want to transition when you were doing I... so well with like the tricks and stuff, you know? I think it's um, a combination of a few things. So I started, like, I didn't just go straight into heels, like, bam, let's go. It, this was still, like, my end year when I before I left Paul and I, like, bought myself a pair of pleasers. And I would just, I wouldn't really train in them, like, nothing like the training we do nowadays in heels. I just basically have, like, maybe one choreo class where I'm like, oh, well, let's just do a heels routine. Let's just have some fun right. with this. So I didn't do much with that. Then, um... I was still mainly a like 
a barefoot pole dancer. I don't want to say a normal pole dancer. <laughs> I didn't know how to wear it, but like a non-heelsy person when I moved to the UK. And I only started putting the heels on really for the Felix Kane Championship because I was like, everybody there is going to be in heels. I'm not going to be the only person barefoot. Yeah. So I started training more of the stuff there. And like, I'm sure Caroline still remembers. I'm like, can you help me with some transitions and stuff? Because I just, I just don't know. Like you all do these crazy, like loopy transitions. I don't know any of them because I've never trained this. Um, and afterwards, I was like, okay, the prep for that competition was the most fun I've had for any competition up until that point. So I've done, like, we've both done IPSF, we've done pole art, we've done all of those other sporty things. And I treated that more as um, something to, to keep me focused, to keep me training. Also, back in the day before social media blew up, competitions are pretty much the way you got your name out. So, um, that's the reason I do them, but I wouldn't massively enjoy preparing for pole sports competitions. Pole art, yes, because it's, you know, nice and dancy and, and performative, but pole sports I didn't enjoy preparing for. And then when I did no. that competition where it's all about, uh, well, I'm not going to say it's all about the heels because it wasn't, but it's all about the X factor and the showmanship. The showmanship. Yeah. It's about the show, Loved isn't it? it. Yeah. Absolutely That's an Australian thing though. Do you not think like when you look at, I was talking to someone about this the other day about how Australia, like their competition scene is so different to here. Our competition mm. scene, I feel is like dying here a little bit. Like we really don't have the people competing now that we used to. And it used to be mm. such a big scene here. And now it's like we're getting less and less people doing it. Um, and like less and less people watching the shows. Whereas in, in Australia, like the tickets sell out. Like people want to go and watch these events because it's a show. It's not just people competing. It's mm. people competing whilst putting on this crazy show. And they've got opening mm. acts and they've got freaking Alyssa Edwards like hosting the show. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, it's next <laughs> level. It's just crazy. Um, yeah, and did crazy. you, did you, would you do Felix Kane Pole Championships again? Like, was it awesome? Oh, it was incredible. It was that type of, uh, it felt like a production. It didn't feel like a competition. And everybody was so insanely good that I honestly was considering faking an injury when I was watching the rehearsals because I'm like, holy freaking shit. Because you have Philly and Gracie and Amy and all of those people just mind-blowingly good. And I'm like, yeah. what am I doing here? Why Didn't you win here? that competition though? I came second. Oh, I was going to say, I knew you did well. I was like, wait, hold on. Why did but you I was away? terrified. Right. I was, but you know what it's like with your own act, right? Like if you've been planning your own act and training your own act for months, you don't see it as that special or that, right. you, know, you you don't, because you've done it so many times. You're like, oh, is this idea even good? You start to second guess things. Whereas everybody else, like that's the first time they're seeing this idea, first time they're seeing this routine. And they, then you forget that maybe actually what you put together is a lot better than you think it is. You know? Yeah, exactly. And and you had human props in that routine as well, didn't you? How I did, yeah. How on earth, like, because <laughs> I assume they weren't from here, were they? I assume no, you... no, no, no. So who was it you used? Was there anyone that I'd know? Who was it? It was... Um... So, so they weren't pole dancers. Right, uh, okay. They were like, um, one of them um, was a, like, contortionist, uh, also aerialist, hand balancer, uh, and the other one was pretty much the same. Um, okay. But th this kind of just plays into also how, how creative and focused on the... the X Factor and showmanship Aussies are because 
when we were invited to the competition, like once we got through to the finals and everything, um, you would get a whole information pack of like, these are your options in terms of uh, lighting. There's going to be five moving cameras. We have a whole team of human props who are qualified dancers, contortionists, and whatever. These are their rates for rehearsals, for doing it on the day. You can have as many as you want, like uh, uh, dependent on availability. So I said, oh, I would need two people who can do backflips. And they were like, yeah, here you go. And then I was just in touch with them. We arranged a rehearsal because they only had to appear at the very end. So we, we were done within an hour. And then, yeah, on the day, they just did an amazing job. And that was it. So you, even if no matter where you were in the world, you could just hire human props when you arrived who were actual hand balancers and acrobats and everything. That is, isn't that quite like, but that, this is what I mean. Like that is the next level of like comp competing, isn't it? Like that's, yeah kind of where I'd love to see the UK go. I feel like one day maybe someone will just really shake shit up here and maybe it will go that way. But um, well actually, while we're talking about it, what, what do you think of like the, the UK competition scene? Why do you think it is so much different to places like Australia and stuff? What do you think it is that's missing here? Um, well, I think, well, I don't think the competition scene's very, I don't think it's, lacking or anything but that's i'm saying that from a perspective of somebody who was in a country where the competition scene was nowhere as big as this so, right um you have a lot of like regional competitions like smaller ones uh where, where which it's fantastic because then people who are just starting to compete they don't have to go out on a big ass stage alongside people who've been doing it for years like mm -hmm. it's a more cozy environment in front of people they know and they feel more comfortable with and i think that's incredible um i think it's just first of all i think it's been going on in australia for longer than in the uk that's one thing and i think they've just been accustomed to the system from the get-go they were like oh if you want to compete in miss pole dance you gotta get through a heat first you got you know you got these rounds like it's almost like a tennis tournament isn't it you got to go oh, through really the prelims and all of that yeah and here it's just like you apply for the main thing and you go for it but i don't i don't think uh, i have an answer as to why the production value is different in the uk because i'm not a competition organizer myself i've never done it so i'm not that familiar with the cost compared to australia like how much it costs to rent venues that can yeah. do these things you know but i was actually talking to I was, funnily enough i had never been on a podcast in my life and then i'm doing two in a row so i was on sophie duncan's yesterday um, oh, okay and we were talking about um actually one thing uh, i think it would be cool in the uk to have something like a big showcase where mm. people don't it doesn't have to be a competition people don't have to be judged but the whole focus is this is like a theater production we get a venue with the lighting with the smokes with everything and people buy tickets like they're coming to see, see a theater show yeah and just watch i think that well, would be epic would you yeah i yeah, that would be completely different, I think. I know Stacey Sneddon put on a show that was more um, a showcase vibe, but it wasn't an actual, like, people coming to see an actual... Are you talking, like, having a storyline kind of thing and then having people doing it like that? Almost like the opening show of Pole Theatre where she'll kind of do, like, a theme and a storyline. Do you mean like that, but maybe a little bit of a longer version? It could be, it could be like that, or it could be a lineup of performances. I think both would be pretty epic to watch to be fair well but it's just like Stacey did that didn't she and that, again it's like um it's sometimes they just don't get the turnout people just don't support the events and it's it's mm. really weird like we've got a very separated community here um 
I won't go too much into it because I don't care to really talk about it too much. But like, we've just got groups of people that don't like each other and don't, it's not very community based here. Whereas in, I feel in Australia, it's very much, it sounds like everyone's together in Australia. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like mm. everyone, it's like a one community situation there. Whereas I think here, people are very much separated in terms of their communities. Like there's people who will compete in pole theatre who wouldn't compete in, I don't know, like Exotic Generation, for example. And there's people that, mm. you know, that will only do Exotic Generation but won't do the Authentics competition. Do you know what I mean? It's like, because mm. it's okay. different types of polers maybe. I don't know. It's just, it's very odd. I feel like there's loads of different you know, sides to it. But I just, I really wish we could get like Australia because I feel like it'd be so awesome. Not mm. only, you know, for the, the event organisers who obviously yeah. do these because they want to make money, but, you know, more so for us as well because we want to, I want to go to a really good show. Do you yeah. enjoy watching competitions still? Be honest. I I do. I do enjoy watching competitions, um, especially after like our nearly two year hiatus of not being able to, to do anything. Even w uh, like Stacy also hosted those online shows, which was really nice to do. Cause even though everybody was either in their studio or in their home, it was just like, we're finally sat down watching people perform. I still love it. Like I will still have evenings where I sit down and I will binge all of my favorite performances on YouTube, just mm. sat on my sofa. I, I, I still love watching it. And I don't, I'm glad that's not, disappeared <laughs> yeah it will depend for me it does depend on the competition it depends on the sort of level i'm watching i guess um but yeah. it's one of the reasons why i stopped actually judging because um well not only because i just don't get enough days to be able to do workshops and do judging and do you know because there's only two weekend days you know what i mean so you gotta spend them wisely right but not only because of that but just because I just feel like we've gotten to a point now where a lot of the routines tend to look the same because everyone's doing the same tricks now, you know, no one's really creating anything new. And I just found it really, I, if I'm being honest, I did. I found it really, really hard to be able to pick people because I'd be like, oh, fuck. Like, well, she was good, but so was this other girl and he was really good too. And I was just like, God, how are we picking winners at this point? Because there's such little things to sort of decipher between the two of them so it's really really hard so and you still judge don't you you still do a lot of judging and stuff don't you yeah for, uh, I don't do um, like masses of it but I'll do a couple of comps a year and I do think judging is a very difficult job um, mm. because like you've got to you got to bear in mind that it's not a job you can half-ass because you have right. people on stage who've been preparing for months. They put money into this, time, sweat, tears, all of that stuff. Um, so they deserve your full attention. They mm -hmm. deserve constructive feedback. Um, so you not only have to be like hyper-focused for hours on end, you also have to, in the short space of time you get between performances, write down some kind of useful feedback so they can actually improve their act. And again, how amongst 10, 15 people who are a very similar level, you have to really start pinpointing small things to mm. determine a winner. Cause I think that's the only, like whoever plays to the scoring sheet that everybody had before they started choreographing. It's, it's like a key to a test. If you know what I yeah. mean, whoever ticked the most boxes, whoever did the homework, the best, that person's going to win. But in terms of the um, performances, like you mentioned, a lot of people do the same thing and, that's one thing I'd want to like bring out to people uh, 
in terms of like a tip for competitions. Right. Like you want you want to think of doing something that you as a viewer would find refreshing and different, you know? Like you have to bear in mind that you are against a number of people at a very similar level to yours on the day, how am I going to stand out? Correct. Right? So you don't want to go for the same thing that's been done 5 million times. You don't want to just put all your favorite tricks together and then just find a song that happens to somehow flow with it. And when in between your tricks, when you don't know what to do, you're going to do like the head or the reaching in the air or whatever, <laughs> like, you know, you can think of a storyline, think of something that you would as a viewer like to see. Cause at the end of the day, remember these judges are watching dozens of performances back to back all day long. If they're all the same, it's like we just said, we're going to start picking on just, tiny little faults this person's feet were a little bit better that person's flit was a little bit split was a little bit flatter <laughs> did i say flit yeah <laughs> i want to say split and flat uh, at the same time so that person's split was a little bit flatter but when you've got a concept when you've got an idea and you bring something that we haven't seen all day to the stage that's like the changing moment and mm. also like those are the routines that people remember because You'll know from watching competitions or judging them as well that at the end of the day, if you've watched 50 performances, how many are you going to like remember, remember. really well? So, Just a handful. And this actually, this this is a great kind of segue onto a, a, an important topic, actually, because what you've just said is so, so true. Like nowadays, you know, it really is a case of like what is going to make you different? What is going to make you stand out to the rest? And there was a competition just recently and the winner was really, really good. Um, but mm -hmm. she, in her routine, she cut her hair off. She actually cut her hair. She had ponytails and she got scissors and she cut them off. So I assume was that her real hair? Her real hair. Oh yeah. So people were like, oh my God. And um, I did a live session with one of my friends, Andy, um, the other day about, about competitions and... Um, he was in that competition where, where this girl did this and she won and she was, to be fair, I saw a clip and she was really awesome. So she probably, would she have won anyway? Maybe. But I think is this, I just thought, whoa, I saw the clip of it because someone had sent it to me and was like, whoa, this girl's just cut her hair off on stage. And I was like, mm. wow. I mean, it wasn't quite a Britney moment. Don't get me wrong. She didn't shave her head off, but you know, she still yeah. cut a good chunk of hair off. And I was like, whoa. And it just made me think, is this where we're at now with the, the efforts you're going to have to go to to be able to be remembered? Is that the level of what we're going to have to do? Like, do you think that that's... Saying is that fair is not the right way to word that. But, like, you know, do you think that's the right way to go? Like, to, to allow people to stand out more because they were willing to cut their hair off? I mean, I, I don't want to have to shave my head off on stage to win a competition, mm. but... You know, and would I do that to win a competition? No, I wouldn't, but some other person might. And is it fair that they stand out more because they were just willing to do something a bit crazier than me? Like, what, what do you think of that? Well, in terms of this particular piece that you're talking about, I've not seen it. Um, it was still I really good, by the way. It was yeah. just in case the the girls listening, she was really awesome. I don't yeah. even think she needed probably to cut hair off, but and it mm. probably went well with the theme. I only saw a clip of it, but yeah, I yeah. just. I just, when I saw it, I was just like, wow, I'd, extreme. I'd probably, as a judge, if I was watching that, I would have that put points into, if there, if there was a section about storyline or theme or whatever, that would obviously benefit that. But as a viewer, if I have to be completely honest, I would have probably thought it was a wig. 
uh, I would have assumed that it was a wig or whatever. So the fact that she cut her actual real hair off wouldn't have impacted the scoring, if that makes sense. The fact that she included it to further her storyline, whether the hair was fake or real, that would have probably played into it. If it mm. does that make sense? It's yeah. just she did she did something that makes that kind of contributes to it. Because another thing about storylines as well, so many times people think that the storyline is just I've got an outfit on, right? I'm dressed as this, so therefore this is Here's what my, I am. And, right. Yeah, and then like there's theme for three seconds, and then it's just pull, 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 fungies, fungies, flips, all of this, all of this, all of this finish in character. It's like where was this character for the remaining three and a half minutes of your performance? Like yeah. everything should fit into that theme, and you want to try to um, convey the essence of your character whenever you can. I'm not saying that you have to be. Uh, an actual fictional character or anything, but just whatever persona you are on stage at the time, you want to kind of go there. But you are right. It is like when once so many things have been done, is it possible to still come up with new stuff? Of course it's possible to come up with new stuff. But like once anything's been done for a lengthy period of time, it just becomes that much more challenging to show something that's not been done before. Like watch Drag Race. Back in the day years ago, like some kind of gentle reveal, a wig under a wig was mind-blowing. What do these queens have to come up with today to blow our minds? It oh seems my like God. we've seen everything, you know? I'll always remember when Violet Chupsky did that, when she was on the runway and her, she just turned around and then she changed. That was kind of one of the first, from what, when I was watching Drag Race, that was one of the first big, like, whoa, like, that's mm. a reveal. And then after that, it was just like reveals had to just get better and better and better. <laughs> it's just yeah. crazy. I mean, some of the reveals they do now are amazing. Don't get me wrong, I still live for them. But yeah, I, I totally get what you mean. And it's, but then it's that whole thing of like, should the pole dancers, when it's a pole dancing competition, be having to go to these extreme lengths? Obviously, it does cut out people who can't afford to pay yeah. for these crazy costumes and stuff, you know. And it kind of takes away from maybe the talent, I guess you could say. That was the argument that Andrew was giving the other day. He was saying, like, mm. you know, when do we say enough is enough with the theme? And say, yes, it was great, good theme. However... You know, you yeah. still weren't at a high enough level to win. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, that's why there's a separate section for that, isn't there? Like, if somebody went to extreme lengths in terms of the theme, of course, get loads of points in theme. Why not? But that doesn't mean that suddenly that theme made your lines better, your strength mm. better, or your flexibility better. You should still be scored fairly in terms of that. But whilst you said um about the costume thing another thing i've actually discussed this with jazzy in the past because uh you know you travel for competition if you travel for competitions abroad again like it, should there be some kind of limit on what you can do prop wise uh human prop wise or actual prop wise because like our recent routine when we were uh, doing pole theater, like we mm. had a massive 2.2 meter Pokemon. I saw it, yeah, yeah. But I, that's only because we, like I live in the UK. That's the only reason we could have had that. I, we can't do that in any other country. We'd have to build it from scratch. That, that wouldn't be possible. So it's again, yeah. are the people who travel from abroad at a disadvantage prop wise? Because obviously how are they going to transport something if it's quite big in size, you know? But then it could go back to that whole thing like you were saying of like um, you getting those human props for Australia. You would think yeah. that maybe that wouldn't be possible, but I mean, everything's possible. Like if I was going to be going to I don't know, Australia for a competition, I'd write to Michelle Shimmy like, Hey, I need someone to make me a massive Pokeball. Can I, where can I store it? Can you recommend some places? It's possible, I guess, but it's going to cost yeah. you a hell of a lot of money. 
that is going to cost and you not everybody's going to be able to afford that just like right. human props as well if it's in your country you'll just get your studio pals to be your human props because they're going to be of there course. to support you on the day anyway if you go abroad obviously you're going to have to pay people like people aren't going to work for free Mm-hmm. that's complete but not everybody's going to be able to have that because you know the, the flight tickets the hotels the costumes everything's already so expensive so then an additional couple of hundred uh for you know an addition on stage that's on for a couple of seconds that's a lot of money it is a lot of money it's uh, i mean I, I feel like there's so much when it comes to competitions that we could talk about is because it's something i did for so many years like and, and i did love it um and actually talking about that kind of segues us into one of the next questions I had was, do you ever plan to compete again? Probably, yes. Um, I just look at competitions differently than I used to. So before it was kind of like just the thing that you go from competition, what's the next competition? What's the next competition? Um, and now um, my approach is more like when I get a concept, if something pops into my head and I'm like, I want to bring this to a stage, I want mm-hmm. a stage to show this on that's when I'll decide, okay, this will be the best place to do it. So I'm not that eager in terms of I need to compete. I need to, you know, I'm not that fussed about that. I'm just more, I, if I'm going to be on the stage, I want to bring something that, I don't know, just thrills me to create, if you know what I mean. So I do have a couple of ideas in the back of my head where I'm like, mm, am I certain I want to do this? Uh, and new things yeah. pop into my head all the time. So when I get that one certain one where I know, I want to show this to the world and then I'll pick a competition and apply that it's kind of reversed now. And one thing that you did at a competition that probably is one of the main things you are, well, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, you were pretty famous before that, but I think it really thrust you into the, the fame of the pole community <laughs> was Voldemort, right? So Voldemort, yeah. so Voldemort was the, that would kind of made you go viral really at that point everyone mm-hmm. was like oh my god have you seen the Voldemort routine you know how life-changing was that routine for you what what would you say like did it change a lot of stuff for you did you get a lot of workshop bookings because of that routine like what what did it do it changed everything really because like you said I I wasn't unknown before it but I was predominantly known in my home country. So everybody in Poland would know who I am. And then in the UK, uh, I'd have certain friends and, you know, certain groups of people that, that, you know, who would have met me. But I think most people, if you ask them, then they'd be like, I don't know who this person is. Um, Because Stacey didn't know who I was at all until I did that competition. Um, And then I, uh, so I still had some workshops. I had some bookings. It wasn't like, you know, um, but more of them were back at home. So then after that, it just pretty much exploded. Like that's when, like you said, like it just reached every part of the globe and everybody was, cause it was just such an obscene idea. It's like, you know, pole dancing Voldemort. Um, so it's just like kind of like a clickbait theme almost. Not that it was clickbait, but you know, that's kind of um, just when you hear that sentence, you're like, I want to see what this is about. Um, and yeah, uh, I was a little bit sad at the beginning because I did have loads of bookings and loads of interest in all of that. And then COVID happened. Because oh, the competition fuck. was, yes, it was in course. November and then COVID was March. So, and obviously you Shit. don't really do much at the beginning of the year. So I was like, no. okay, so I just put my name out there through this competition. And now and COVID I'm not going to be able to see. Yeah. But on the contrary, 
uh, a lot of online camps were happening during that um d- during lockdown so like i taught a lot for damien uh, i guest taught for for uh, pole destroyers and other places i taught for body and pole and i'm like because of this a lot of people who maybe would have never thought of or had the chance to take a workshop with me because i would have not been around in the area because online became such a big thing i'm like now suddenly hundreds of people got to take my class and I think that's pretty cool and I think that's pretty amazing and in the long run when we got out of it that's when I started getting a lot more international requests like oh can you come to Sweden can you come to Finland can you come to Australia can you come here and I'm like I don't know if that would have been possible if online didn't become a thing so Mm. but it is definitely a lot a lot different so I became a part of expert afterwards because obviously I met I met Stacy and um we got if anyone really well if anyone listening to this is like why do they keep mentioning stacy stacy is a friend of ours who runs expert um yeah she also works for expole she runs all the big pole competitions in the uk so we just say stacy and assume that everyone knows who she is but how can you not know who yeah exactly in case you're wondering who this stacy is we keep saying stacy um yeah she basically she runs all the like the pole theaters exotic generation stuff and she works for expole so everyone here knows stacy but just in case you're in a different country you're like stacy who Hey, sorry to interrupt your episode. I just wanted to tell you a little bit about one of the sponsors of this podcast. And this podcast is sponsored by Polos. And Polos is an online shop where you can buy everything from pole dancing merchandise to dick-shaped bath bombs. And let's be honest, who doesn't want a dick-shaped bath bomb? I mean, am I right? (laughs) You can get 10% off on the website polos.com by using code polos10. That's code POLLOLS10. So go ahead to the website. You can find everything from dick-shaped bath bombs to pole dancing cats, pole dancing dogs. We've got t-shirts. We've got jumpers. There's something for everyone. So go and check out POLLOLS.com. Tell me about um, dating life as a male pole dancer because I can't even tell you because I wasn't a pole dancer when I started dating Mitch oh yeah you guys have been together for like 50 years we've been together a long time I'd done pole I'd I'd had done pole at this point but when I met Mitch I was on a little sort of like break between because I I, I, saw mentioning Stacey again I learned from Stacey I lived in Stevenage Mm. that was where she did her class and then I moved away and then I met Mitch and I got back into pole again but what is it like um you know having to navigate dating in in what i would say is a very fickle community um a very judgy mm-hmm. community um mm-hmm. and i want to say actually i feel like it must be hard because you wear heels and people probably assume that that means femme right and i don't class mm-hmm. you really as a femme i don't think you're femme really i think like even looking at you now like you don't come across as femme to me at all but you know how you've got this very toxic kind of like mask for mask kind of like thing in the gay community tell me what it's like navigating that so um you're absolutely right in terms of those things um and for a period i would kind of I wouldn't have anything I just mentioned in like, let's say my dating profile apps that I'm a pole dancer, but I wouldn't have any pictures of me doing it or anything like that. Um, And then I'd sometimes talk to people and everything's going fine. And I would know exactly the moment when they found my Instagram. Because if it just went silent for no reason like that, I know they saw, or sometimes they'd literally be like, um, 
I'd be checking out their stuff and then they'd go to my profile and you know, that kind of evasive response, like, Oh no, yeah, it's cool. And then suddenly you don't hear from them ever again. So then I thought, do you know what? I'm going to weed these guys out straight away. So now on all of my profiles, I would have a video of me dancing in heels. It's like, if you've got a problem with this, stay away from the get go. Like, you know, from yeah. the, and also like, like you said, um, there is that toxicity because one, they're going to assume that I'm femme, but also in that same breath, they're classing femme as something that is bad. And I don't want that energy around. Right. It's like, if, if I didn't dance in heels and I was effeminate, would that put you off? Is that a bad thing? Like, I, I don't like the whole toxic masculinity bullshit. For me, actually, if I was swiping on an app and I saw a guy who was like mask presenting i'll say like muscular or whatever and then they have some kind of silly photo that i know they're fr- fancy dressed and they dressed up as like posh spice or whatever and they they don't have that kind of hesitation to just explore different things i'm like that's the type time kind of person i could vibe with but right people who are just like oh yeah no i'd never dress up as a woman uh, fuck off yeah i hate it so much you have sex with men get over it i know but and as well like you'll see these (laughs) you'll see these pictures of these really like butch guys and they've got all these muscles and they look like like tall really butch and then you'll find out that they're like 100 percent bottom (laughs) oh yeah i do you know the reason behind that i i read about this apparently apparently that's because like i'm assuming this isn't the case for everyone obviously it's not going to be the case for everyone but uh the reason so many muscular men are bottoms is because they are not truly comfortable uh in themselves with the fact that they are a bottom so they overcompensate by presenting in a big way to seem like you know more assertive and strong and all of those quotation marks in the air by the way yeah, in case yeah. you're not watching the video and just listening <laughs> um just so they kind of come across this way but then do it differently in the bedroom if you know what i mean so they're just not comfortable with who they are really and that's why that's why they decide to just hit the gym and take steroids or do whatever so uh that i, th- I just thought that was interesting facts uh, yeah since we're talking about muscle no, that's so i've never even thought of it that way but yeah that actually makes a lot of yeah. sense um but isn't that yeah. so weird that in in that breath then that people would you know assume that just because you're dancing in heels that you're gonna be you know femme or you know that just because you're dancing and if i was what's the problem exactly it's like just because i'm dancing in the heels doesn't mean i can't top you like the best of them do you know what i mean (laughs) but like do you ever find guys are literally talking to you they don't know anything about their heels and then you'll go on a date goes really really good then they find out about it and then they're like oh no and that that's just like a breaking point for them because have you ever considered even getting to know people getting them to sort of like and not trapping them that sounds really bad but kind of letting them <laughs> letting them like I know what, you know fall in I love with you and the person that you are because you aren't yeah. you aren't heels so heels isn't who you are you are jacob you know so if they mm-hmm. fall in love with jacob and then they find out that okay you dance in heels and stuff but they like you so much that it doesn't matter like I don't know. I guess, is that entrapment? I don't know. It's not really, is it? I mean, I personally, I know people who do stuff like that, um, but I personally wouldn't see myself dating or being with someone who wasn't, generally speaking, open-minded. 
Right. So I would have a problem with the fact that it would take, you know, having to literally fall in love with me. Also, they, they would find out what I do before they like, you know, you don't fall in love in two seconds, you know, but um, I'll kind of just divert into another thing that I do in terms of dating. That's kind of like the heels thing. So kind of checking out what people's approach to different things are, because I have uh, quite a few friends that are sex workers and they're either strippers or they have only fans or whatever. Um, and whenever I'm dating someone, that's more of a thing. Like, I'll make sure they know that I do heels before the date happens. But then during the date, that topic comes up and I just kind of want to suss out what their approach is to people who have OnlyFans. What's their approach to people who work in strip clubs and stuff like that? And if it's very like, oh, then I'm like, mm, I don't I can't have this energy around me because to me, that's the same thing as a straight girl who is an ally dating a homophobic guy. I'm like, I can't do it. Yeah. What about if they said to you that they, if you said to them, what do you think about people doing OnlyFans and stuff? And they said to you, um, you know, it's not for me, but, you know, good for them. Do you know what I mean? What about that sort of attitude? That's okay. I well, feel, I feel uh, like that's That's fine. kind of like live, live and let live. Like right. None of my business. I'm, yeah. I'm not going to say anything negative about them. Like if they want to do it, do it. Oh, it's okay. More of an approach so you're not wanting like, them oh, to that's be like... cheap work. It's sleazy. It's right. Fun. It's this and that. And it's like not recognizing that it's, it's work and they probably make a lot more than you so humble yourself yeah and you know? do you know what i just i can't do anything but respect people who are willing to go out of their own way to make their own money rather than working for someone so what listen if if i could make money selling nudes of myself i mean best believe i would be doing it already of course i would <laughs> but i'd have to pay people to look at them do you know what i mean like you know if i if i look like caroline you know if i look like caroline um i would have an only fans too you know, I 100% yeah. would. Like, I don't blame her. Good for her. And I hope she's making loads of money from it because she should be. She's doing well. Oh, yeah. good for her. Um, in fact, it's funny, actually. I She's one of the people on my list that is next for me to message because I really want to talk to her about the OnlyFans experience and stuff and what it's like. Yeah. But yeah, um, have you ever considered doing OnlyFans yourself or is that just not for you? Um, I don't think I'm confident enough in my own body to do something like that. I think it takes a hell of a lot of self-confidence, like physical self-confidence to do that. And I'm not saying anybody needs to look a certain way because, well, you'll probably cover this topic when when uh, you're talking to Caroline because she said, oh, it's actually the total opposite. People subscribe to other people on OnlyFans because it's a different experience to other adult movies that you find. Cause in, in those everyone's ripped and everyone's, you know, done up and everyone yeah, yeah. looks perfect. Like the typical beauty standard. She's like, no, people subscribe to OnlyFans because they want to watch normal people. They want to watch yeah. people like them. They want to see themselves in that. Um, so yeah, you, you can have whatever body really. Mm. Uh, it just takes a lot of self-confidence to be able to, I think put that out into the internet and you know have I don't think I'd be mentally prepared for that step probably yeah so that's what would be holding me back from doing it but also I have so many other things that I'm already doing it's like when would I have the time to <laughs> film yet more stuff and edit more stuff and it's yeah I think I'd, I'd drain myself I'd burn out <laughs> yeah oh my god I, I, I agree with you I think it's more the the body confidence thing I wouldn't say although I'm a lot more body confident nowadays than I ever used to be I'm still not I wouldn't say I'm body confident enough to do that. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. um, so I have the utmost respect for people who do it. I think um, I actually 
I was listening to something the other day that was saying that the reason people do buy into OnlyFans is because they feel like they're watching someone who they know, kind of. So it's a little bit more taboo. Mm. So it's like, yeah. you know, these porn stars, you've never seen anything of them before. So you don't you don't have yeah. any emotional connection to them. But, you know, if, you know, if they followed Caroline for years and they know what she looks like out of makeup, in makeup, and they know a bit about her life mm. story, there's something quite, like, fun about that. So I think, yeah, there's... Yeah. Do you remember when... um wasn't what was going to happen to OnlyFans weren't they like shutting down or something they were going to shut down so it wasn't I don't think them shutting down it was the payment provider that was whoever it. yes was, yeah, I think it was MasterCard that said they wouldn't handle it anymore they were trying to cut them off weren't they god can you imagine mm. if that had happened so many people would have lost lost so much money it was it was it was very bad, but they might have not lost money, but because, I mean, I, I'm open to being corrected if I'm wrong, but I think I'm correct. Um, people kind of unsubscribed or like their their direct debits were cut off because of obviously their standing order, direct debits, whatever, were cut off because MasterCard did that move. So mm. then all of these uh, creators had to work on regaining all of those subscribers and regaining that percentage. So they regardless of whether it was a you know ultimate cancellation they still took the hit and they still had to like get back up from there which is so unfair isn't it like that they were still affected by it, even just because of the news yeah um yeah one thing i want to finish on um and i just want to talk about it because um you own a studio with caroline yeah um how is it being a male so obviously I know because I am also a male <laughs> studio owner. But like, what, what's your experience of it? Like, how how do you find it? Um, well, in terms of like running like day to day business, there's obviously not going to be not much uh, difference. any difference in terms of that at all. Um, I think the differences would only ever be very slight and very very rarely show up. So we did this trial once. Um, cause obviously we all do our marketing. We have to like send out these adverts and all of that to get people to get into the beginner classes. So we, we usually would just do these adverts with, uh, the female team members. And then Caroline was like, why don't we put out a, one, one of the photos, just you in heels. Let's just see Like, just put it out for a couple of days, see how people react and all of that. And although the response was mainly positive you obviously will get some kind of Trolls, unhappy person of course, who yeah. has to just yeah because uh, whatever it's the um, internet of course they have to be offended yeah it's the end yeah <laughs> <laughs> like if you're looking for positive information stay off of the internet right <laughs> and then i guess the only other thing would be um let's say if somebody's inquiring for private lessons and then we say these are the people that are available on these days when you are available they there have sometimes been replies where they're like i'd be more confident with a female teacher which can be uh, i'm not and i'm not classing that as uh, any kind of discrimination like sometimes women are just more comfortable with women for a number of reasons like you don't know what that person's been through so i absolutely respect that uh i'm just pointing that out as a difference between mm. a male studio owner and a female one because that would have never happened the other way around yeah Nobody would have ever said i'm, I'm gonna be more comfortable with a male instructor yes like you know? so for example at my place we've i've got um two students who come to ariel and they're like oh we just need to check that it's not a man teaching and instantly i was like why would they say that? And I was like, I looked at the name and I was like, it must be a religion thing. I bet it's religion. I just yeah. said, oh, so it is only women. I said, but, you know, I can't guarantee that 
a man won't book the class. I said, so as much as I would love to say to you, it's only women. And it pretty much always is. Every yeah. now and then, one of the girls might bring their boyfriend. Um, and I just said to them, I was like, you know, I'm happy on those occasions that it does happen to, you know, give you a heads up and let you know that a, a guy's on the class. But it's also, I was like, I also can't really say no because I've always, you know, as a male studio owner, I can't be like, oh, no men allowed in this class. Because <laughs> it'll be like, what? Yeah. It'll be so weird for me to say that. So, yeah. So, and I found for me, when I first started the studio, which was probably about like eight or nine years ago now, um, mm -hmm. I used to have photos of myself on the website. I used to have photos of myself on the flyers and stuff back when I used to fly at people's houses. Um, and back before the internet, ads were like the main place that you used mm -hmm. to use. And yeah, it didn't go down well. Like not that it didn't go down well because people hated it. It just didn't get much response from it. And when I changed it from my pictures and I basically I had to ask one of my friends Andrea because I didn't have any students at the time so I didn't have any pictures of students I could use so I had to yeah. ask my friend Andrea I said can I borrow some pictures of you I changed it all and then all of a sudden people started coming in so funny how seeing a guy on the pictures just made people think oh that looks a bit weird um yeah yeah just really odd so that's one of the little things that I've found and the second thing that I have definitely found I don't know if you ever find this sometimes not so much now because I feel like I've heard all of them do you ever have women mm. talk to you about things and you're just like I don't know what you're talking about like what what do you mean and like it'll be like <laughs> sometimes it'll be about like medical things or like mm. vagina issues or whatever and I'm just like mm. I'm like what is that and they'll and they'll tell me and I'll just be like, wow, like, okay, I didn't even know about that. And it kind of just, I've learned along the way. I, I feel like I know so yeah. much about women's bodies now, but has there only been yeah. any other little things like that that you have kind of discovered along the way? Pro well, obviously, I, I've learned a lot about uh, female reproductive organs. Yeah, oh my God, so uh, high. That, but yeah, more than no I care to experience. admit. <laughs> <laughs> but I think another thing that sometimes, uh, and, and they mean it in the nicest way possible, you know, but if you're demonstrating something and you do it gracefully, or like you're demonstrating a body wave in a beginner's class, or you're teaching a heels class. And it's <laughs> I like, know where this is going. Oh my God, you do that better than most women I know. It's like, no, I do that better than all of the women you know. Yeah. Like, why am I classed as like, oh, it's impressive because you're doing it and you're a guy. Like, my body can move the same way yours can. It's just the only reason you're not associating this with men is because men typically are pushed to do different types of activities. But if we both start at the same time, there's no reason why your body waves are going to be better than mine. Like, I don't understand. Right. That. But they mean it as a compliment, you know, but it's a bit like, uh... Yeah. Like, oh, you're strong for a girl. That's like a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Or like, or like, you're so sexy for a guy. Like, and you're, you're like, wow, isn't that so weird how we have that, like, <laughs> that perception. Yeah. And have you, um, have you ever had any issues where, so I had one a long, long, long time ago. This was back when I'd only been open for a few years. And a student who came mm -hmm. to me and she loves pole classes. She loved them, but she basically had a really toxic boyfriend. And he told her that she couldn't go anymore because he'd found out that the teacher was me, was a guy. I was like, and, and but she'd already left at this point. And I said to her friend, I was mm. like, why has she left? And she told me why. And I said, does he not know that like I'm gay? Like I've got a boyfriend mm. at the time I had a boyfriend. And I was like, 
that's so weird. I was like, what? Isn't it so weird that that guy was su- had such that toxic masculinity to the point of he didn't want his girlfriend going to pole because it was being taught by a guy. Isn't that so That's odd? so insecure, though. That's an issue with him, totally. Like, oh, 100%. I can guarantee you that she probably had the same kind of problems about her going on a night out alone with the girls and without him there. Like, I, this just sounds like a completely toxic, controlled environment. Yeah. So, uh, have you ever I had, have you, have you, yeah, oh, oh, do you know, I praise God. I actually, I'd assume that maybe if she had, she probably would have come back and she hasn't. So I'd only assume that maybe they're still together. <laughs> yeah, I just got this vibe that she probably would have done anything he told her to do, which is really sad. Mm. So I really wish that she yeah. could have stood up. But, you know, that's none of my business. So I was just super sad. because she, You know, when it's like, she was so good. And I was like, this is so sad. Mm. She was really good. And she really enjoyed it. Um, yeah. But yeah, have you ever um, suffered any, not, I don't want to say homophobic abuse, but like any homophobic comments or anything, um, you know, with it, from people within the pole industry or outside of the pole industry because you do pole? Um, I can't really say I have. The, the, the only negative, well, I'll class them as negative, um, reactions I've ever had during my entire pole career would have been probably like, just some kind of casual conversation you have with somebody you don't know very well. Like maybe you're at a party or like you're just doing small talks. Like, what do you do? What do you do? And like, if I said what I did, it was just like, <laughs> okay, like kind of yeah. that thing. So it was just not more, I think they would have reacted the same way if a woman said she did poll or any other person mm. said they did poll. Um, so nobody ever said any bad, abusive things to me. Nobody ever said anything homophobic to me because I do poll. I guess I'm lucky enough that all of the reactions I've ever received were very, very positive. Yeah. So I, I get the yeah. same thing where people are a bit like, oh, really? It's always really funny. Whenever people ask me and Mitch when we're on holiday, they're like, oh, what do you guys do? Mitch's always like, I'll go first. Because Mitch's like, I don't want you to go first. So y'all, you can go after me. So he'll go first. And so he just does like, a, he's a manager for a massive like um, transport company. He does like transport and stuff. And he will tell his job and then he'll be like, he'll look at me and be like, Go on then, tell them what you're doing. I'm like, God. <laughs> but do you know what, actually, a lot of the time, unless we've gotten to know the people well enough that I'm willing to tell them, I don't yeah. say, I just say, I'm like, oh, I'm a fitness instructor. Or I've got a pole, like, I've got a dance studio. And then they normally just kind of drop it at that. But yeah, um, I did kind of go a little bit off subject there. But what's it like um, running a business with a friend? Because in, especially in the pole industry, and I'm not trying to jinx this, by the way, you know, when you see people yeah. who work together, it always tends to end in tears and they end up breaking up and end up, you know, not working together anymore. How have, what would mm-hmm. you say is the secret sauce that you and Caroline have got that have made you, because you've worked together a long time now. Um, years, how do you, years how years, do you yeah. keep it so that, you know, you both, I, I assume you probably do argue, but how do you avoid it and stuff? Um, we don't really, we haven't argued for quite some time, but it is, it is the open communication. It's, you have to be upfront and honest with each other. If you feel like somebody's slacking in a certain department and you have to pick that up, that needs to be approached. And there has to be a conversation where you say, sorry, I don't think this is fair. At the end of the day, we get paid the same amount of money. We should be put it, putting the same amount of work in, you know, like, oh, I don't think you cleaned after classes last night like whatever thing like that but because we're a lot of people think like oh it's hard because you're friends it's like 
No, it's the total opposite. Like yeah. you can just walk up and be like, bitch, why didn't you do that? Why I got to be hoovering after you right now? You know, like kind of things like that. So it's just, but we, we kind of, uh, we've had our ups and downs and everybody will in any kind of partnership. This can be a romantic relationship, a business relationship. You're never going to be 100% sunshine and rainbows all the time. No. You're always going to have some kind of thing that's going to happen. But we've, uh, and we've had, you know, some very good ups and some very low lows, but we got to a very healthy point now where we're very open with communication. Everybody knows what's expected of them and everybody pulls through every single time. Like there's no picking up here or there. So we have, you know, if you put in the effort, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. Obviously you um, don't have that problem if you don't have a business partner, you know, and you just have it, but then everything's on your head. Like you go on holiday, you worry about, you know, stuff and you don't have anybody else to manage that whilst you're away and, and you know, all those other benefits that you get from it. Uh, so I guess there are as many pros and cons, but if you can develop a healthy communication style between each other and be honest, then the pros are definitely overweight the cons by a massive amount. And do you enjoy owning a business? Do you, because you now have your studio, but you have your online business. So, mm -hmm. you know, technically you're an entrepreneur. Like, what does it feel like to, do you enjoy being an entrepreneurial type person, like running your own businesses? It's something you always wanted to do. Um, I think it's something I knew I'd always do because my, well, maybe when I was a very, very little kid, they had employment, but then my parents for most of the childhood years that I can remember have had their own businesses. Okay. So I was always surrounded by dad had his own construction company. Mom had her clothing shops and different things. So I was kind of just used to, to being surrounded by that business mindset. Mm -hmm. um, and also I, I don't know what this means about me, but I hate being told what to do, especially if I'm being told what to do by a person who is less knowledgeable or less qualified on the topic than me. I'm like, why is this idiot telling me what to do when I know exactly what to do? But, uh, I just couldn't. That's why my days in retail did. I mean, they lasted a couple of years, but then I was, I was the manager. So it was fine. But just these people spilling absolute nonsense. I'm like, where did you get that from? So I can't deal with that. Like, yeah, I need to do it myself or have somebody I trust to do things. Uh, nobody's going to tell me what to do. Absolutely not. I think I'm destined to be self-employed. Yeah, because, I was the same. Yeah. I, I remember working for a water company, right? And I was in the customer service team. And I remember just thinking, like, I hate people telling me what to do. And I was just like, why am I so unmanageable? And I think it was just purely because I just hated being told what to do. Because I felt like the processes that were in place were just, they didn't make any sense. And I was like, why can't we just change this process? Let's just, but oh, no, 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 like, we can't do that. And, you know, you'd make suggestions. And then it became very frustrating because, you know, you'd make suggestions of what we could do to make things better for us. And it was like, no, because that's, that's not the process. That's not, yeah, but why isn't it the process? And I was just always questioning stuff. And you know what I mean? I was just like, this is just not for me. And, you know, I worked in yeah. education for a little while as well. I worked, um, like basically in apprenticeships, like in the UK, I was like signing people up to apprenticeships and stuff and did admin for that. I just didn't like working for people. I hate it. You know, you're just like, I feel like I could have done a better job than my manager. And I think when you're the type of person that feels like that, you know, maybe it's time to put your money where your mouth is and say, well, actually, I feel like I could do this better. So do it, go and do it better. Like, honestly, go and exactly. do it better. If you feel like you can do it because it might be the best thing you ever did. 
But um, do you, do you have any plans to open up any other businesses? Is there like a business that you would love to start? Have you thought of any like ideas that you'd love See, to one day do? I I don't know if this is a thought that's also crossed your mind or not, but have you ever thought of doing a business that has nothing to do with Paul? Oh, I like, literally, I talk about this all the time. This is the reason why I was going yeah. on to this because I am, um, and, and this is great because I ask this and sometimes people take it a little bit odd, but I feel like maybe now you've said that you're going to relate to it more. I talk to people a lot about exit strategy from Paul. Like, what's your, I say to them, mm -hmm. like, what's your exit plan? You know, because my body, my body, I can tell you, it'll, it's got a good few years and it left. I reckon probably 10, maybe mm -hmm. even 15 at a push. It'll, it'll probably be able to do some decent stuff for a long time. But there'll yeah. be a time where I'm going to have to slow down. I'm maybe not going to be able to do the things that I used to be able to do. And or maybe you'll want to slow down. Exactly. You, and honestly, I think I want to. have been doing this a long time. Exactly. And yeah. I think I'm going to want to. So I talk to people about, you know, what's your exit strategy? And, and, and they'll be like, what do you mean? And I'll be like, have you not thought about like, so for me, like investments and stuff, I, you know, because I haven't thought of any other business ideas I want to do yet. I invest my money instead. But, you know, I would love to have a business that is non-related to pole because I'd like something that doesn't rely, no, well, just a business that doesn't rely on my body. That's that's the main thing. Yeah. A, a business that doesn't rely on me having to be physical. So, yeah, I mean, what's your thoughts on that? Have you, I guess, by you saying that, you've thought about the same thing. Oh, God, yeah. So I've, uh, well, there are multiple things I've always wanted to do, but the thing is I think I've been spoiled by pole and being able to make a living out of something I absolutely love for so many years that I'm not willing to settle for less. Right. Like I'm not going to settle for something that just pays the bills that I don't absolutely love doing. Mm -hmm. so, so the bar is very high. Um, but I think if um, I was to not do poll anymore, I would love to have uh, some kind of business or even work somewhere where I work with animals. So I would love to have like a doggy daycare. Yes. Um, like maybe a dog training school. Like I'd like to work more. Obviously you have to deal with people because pet owners are crazy. Oh yeah, they are crazy. <laughs> I'm one of them. But I know <laughs> that's why I kind of did the little stare. But um, most of the day you spend with, with animals and I get along with animals a lot better than I get on with people. I, think. I so actually, I something like that. it's really funny. A long, long time ago, um, me and Mitch were going to buy um, a all rent. We, we couldn't decide which we want to do. We were going to get back to this big unit space um, mm. to be able to store the polos clothing. Cause we have so much of it. And we was like, where can we store it? Like we, we hate storing it at home. It's really hard to store at home. Um, and this was actually so lucky. This was just before the pandemic happened. Thank God. Thank God we decided just to, we basically decided to move house and get a bigger house instead um, mm. and keep it at home. So it was just easier. And, um, but at the time I was like, wouldn't it be good if like we used the really, really big space? We obviously don't need all of it for the clothing. We just use part of it. But like we have, like you said, like a place where dogs can just be dropped off during the day to be like to play and looked after. Because yeah. so many dogs, they just end up set at home. And I said to Mitch, I'd love that for our dogs. Just somewhere where I could drop them off during the day. They can play with the dogs all day and then come back home. I would love that. But you know what? Again, yeah. it's. I I feel like a business like that, it'd be a lot of stress. Like you say, because you'd be dealing with crazy owners like me but yeah have you have you thought of any other industries that, that you'd like to go into have you like because you you wear heels have you ever thought of making your own heels or anything like that um no, I've not really thought of making anything um because again I think uh I don't think that's just where my I don't know if I'd have that much enjoyment just like drawing things up it would just become like a job job to me okay probably um 
but another thing I love, um, I like, well, I'm not, I probably won't do it now because it's just the competitions on every corner, but I love escape rooms. I'm obsessed and addicted to doing escape ah. rooms. I would love to own one. Just, I've done over 40. I wow, you're obsessed with them. But I, literally, like if I go um, to visit Warren, a uh, reminder for those listening, that's my best friend who lives in Leicester. Um, if it's his birthday weekend or something, we don't go out to clubs. We do like five or six escape rooms. That's Oh, just the, the two of you? Just the two of us will go and do that. Um, have you ever failed them? Because he's how many times have you failed them? In the forty times I've done them, maybe twice, but that's because there were only two of us, and the room was designed for like four or five or whatever. Is it uh, really? Yeah. Fr- I bet um, for someone who's obsessed with that, it's really frustrating. <laughs> oh, do you know what? I do you get really the angry. Room was really- I, I get really, comp- I don't, um, I'm, no, I'm, I'm lying. I'm trying, I think I'm trying to underplay. And yes, I, I, I did get angry, but <laughs> this is the reason. It's because I think uh, it was to, um, to my detriment that I had done so many of them before we did this one. It was in Nottingham. They have this like huge basement um, with very high ceilings that they've just adapted into these uh, different rooms. And if you, have you done an escape room? Yeah, it was a long, long time ago, but yeah, we sucked at it to be honest. Yeah. You go, you find clues, you solve puzzles, you open yeah. padlocks. Like, that's typically how things go. But now people have gone freaking crazy with them. Moving walls, engineers yeah. involved. Like, it is insane what people do with them now. So this was like an Indiana Jones type of escape room. And they give you, like, this satchel with, like, a little diary where they're like, some information's important, some information's not. And I'm like, okay, very useful, thank you. And we're kind of just walking into this tiny corridor that was pitch black trying to find some clues wasting 15 minutes when it turned out that it was more of like a touchy-feely type of room that you had to push on the walls and then one wall literally moved and revealed a whole last five meter tunnel and i'm like i've never had to do anything like that whereas if maybe that was my first ever escape room you would have just I pushed been it like, oh yeah. indiana jones i probably have to push but because i'm like nah certainly not so we waste a lot of time on stupid you're like, like you're looking around for like hieroglyphics on the wall and stuff. Yes. <laughs> and there it's like no you just have to push the wall uh, okay yeah Great. so we were like you know when you go to i assume for someone like you who's really obsessed with them this is like a, oh my god you do not do that but you know when you you can press like a button and be like hey we need a clue can you help us we had to yeah, do that yeah. like five times. I think. <laughs> oh, we just sucked. You, I, I feel like to do some of that, you have to really think outside the box. Um, mm. But that goes really good for you because that means that actually, why couldn't you set up your own escape room? Because if you do think outside the box, that means that you could potentially make a business that would be so much better than all the others. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think you should do it, it. it. They are creative people out there, though. Like I, some of the rooms I've been to, I'm like, this is insane. Incredible. Yeah. But, but back when I started doing them when I was still living in Poland, and there you'd only have like a, one in each city, maybe two in the bigger cities. Now, if you look at escape rooms in your area, you will have five million of them. So it's wow. not necessarily always just like having the best idea. It's just a very saturated market. Right. So I, I don't know if I wasn't doing that. My other one thing that I think I might want to get into, but this would take probably years of training um i'm a big gamer so i love video games i love playing games Mm. so i would probably be interested in learning game design like programming and stuff yeah 
yeah, like create games of my own. But then again, that's a whole new craft and specialty that I have no idea about right now. So it would take a while for me to even physically be able to try and do that. Yeah, no, I get what you mean. And it's that whole thought of, and then you go through that whole thought in your head, you're like, oh, but then I'd have to go to university or whatever and retrain and like do all these like and that's where I'm kind of like I want to find a business that I could do that isn't pole related but doesn't require me to have to sort of retrain um yeah in something do you know what I mean but yeah mm, yeah Oh, Jacob, I feel like I could talk to you forever because you remind <laughs> me so much of myself. And some of the things you say, it just reminds me so much of the way I feel as well. So it's really interesting mm. talking to you. And I would love to have you back on at some point. But yeah, yeah of course. Well, um, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking to you. It was so cool to hear about your life and all the things that you've done. And um, like I said, I definitely will have to hit you up about coming back on and we'll maybe choose a different top topic and we'll We'll talk or we can bitch about some other stuff next time. We can talk about the gay scene again. Next time we're going to watch, we're going to uh, Twitch stream Dan Rosen playing online escape, room, uh, escape rooms. Well, <laughs> so you, you'd want to see me trying to play computer games. Honestly, Mitch gets so frustrated. <laughs> he hates it. But yeah, well, next time maybe I'll, I'll let you know. I'll have to do some practice first. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. It was lovely to speak to you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. And if you've got anyone else that you'd love to see me interview on this show, please just drop me a DM and I'd be more than happy to message them. And also don't forget that you can be in with a chance to win a bunch of Polo's goodies. And if you want to be in with a chance to win, all you got to do is go to whatever podcast platform you're on and give us a cheeky five-star review and screenshot it. Send it to me via DM on Instagram and you will be entered in the draw to win. So... Go and do it now. And thank you so much for listening. Lots of love. Love you all. Mwah. That was all the tea that you can get this week. Join me next time right here. It's the weekly.